Dr. Heather Johnson is a preventive cardiologist at Baptist Health, Lynn Women's Health and Wellness Institute. She received her medical degree from the University of Wisconsin Medical School, where she also completed her residency. In honor of Women's History Month, we would like to ask Dr. Johnson to answer some questions that are specifically related to heart health in women and provide more insight on any methods in preventing and treating heart disease. Dr. Johnson, welcome to our program. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. Great, all right. All right, our first question is, okay, your specialty is preventive cardiology, meaning your concentration is on preventing cardiovascular events. Am I right? Correct, yes. Preventive, okay. Are you able to predict someone's risk for a cardiovascular event? And how exactly do you intervene to prevent an occurrence? So that's a great question. When we talk about preventive cardiology, we're talking about two areas. Number one, how do we work with the patient, including women, as far as preventing our first event, first heart attack, first stroke, first episode of heart failure? We also work with individuals as far as preventing another event. So even though you may have had a heart attack, stent, bypass surgery, heart failure, stroke, how do we work with you to help you prevent another event and also continue to have a quality of life? So when we talk about prevention and also prediction of heart disease, there are a lot of different things that we're able to use as far as tools in our toolbox. And some of that are what we call risk scores, where we, we may calculate various risk factors for heart disease. But we mm -hmm. also have certain imaging that we sometimes use that may highlight early or advanced development of plaque in our heart arteries. When we talk about prevention and risk assessment, it is very individualized. And so we want to make sure that how we assess it is based upon those that individual's risk factors. Mm -hmm. For example, we talk about the presence of diabetes, high blood pressure, family history, we also talk about even prior pregnancy-related conditions, such mm -hmm. as preeclampsia or eclampsia. Different things can increase our risk of developing heart disease down the road. So really that open discussion about our individual history makes a big difference in predicting our risk for heart disease. Understood, okay. Now, Black women are three times as likely to die of pregnancy-related deaths than their white counterparts, in part due to gestational diabetes, but also preeclampsia, which is characterized by high blood pressure, okay? To what extent is heart health connected to maternal health? That's a phenomenal question. So maternal health and heart health are very tightly related. And here at the Lynn Women's Institute in Boca Raton, we actually have a program dedicated to help women understanding their risk of heart health in relationship to their pregnancy mm -hmm. history and their pregnancy conditions. A prior history of gestational diabetes or diabetes during pregnancy, a history of high blood pressure during pregnancy, including mm -hmm. preeclampsia or eclampsia, also preterm delivery, less than 37 weeks, are all contributors to developing heart disease down the road. There have been a growing amount of studies highlighting 
that heart disease can develop and begin to develop about 10 years later. So not a long time. We're talking about a younger population. And so our goal is to really raise awareness and both the obstetrics team and the heart team has come together talking about the importance of having a heart health evaluation after delivery is called the fourth trimester mm. in which we do a reassessment. It's recommended as far as reassessing cholesterol, blood pressure, so many things, even if you didn't have these conditions to begin to understand your risk of heart disease moving forward. We also know that some of these conditions can contribute to development of heart failure down the road. Mm -hmm. And so even some basic things such as trying to ensure that women have a home blood pressure monitor when they're discharged after delivery to help monitor blood pressure is a really big deal to help prevent readmissions, heart failure after pregnancy, and to follow as far as the heart health too. Okay. So we are definitely, you're exactly right, raising awareness about this relationship it's not delivery and then no additional follow-up. It really does require close follow-up, both the American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology, National Institutes of Health. There's been a big goal as far as both heart, cardio, and obstetrics working together on heart health. Okay. Do you know of any research on the rate of hypertension between the Caribbean population and other people of color in America, including Africans? Um, we, what are the disparities in hypertension between U.S.-born and foreign-born Black individuals in the United States? We do know that overall, when we talk about of Afro-descent in general, there has been higher rates of high blood pressure, really approaching almost 50% of prevalence of hypertension within communities. And we talk about both U.S. and international rates. There are some genetic components in relationship to this. We know that their increased risk of high blood pressure does correlate also with age. There's also discussion about as far as there's salt sensitivity that may be there. Also, we talk about neighborhood environmental factors can also play a role. So there's a big focus on what's called social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with our neighborhood factors, our physical activity opportunities, educational opportunities, screening, preventive care opportunities. Um, and also when we talk about sort of the culture in relationship to how do we promote health as far as across generations and within the neighborhood itself too. Mm -hmm. And so you are correct that high blood pressure does indeed have higher rates within various minority communities. We also know that that increases risk of stroke in which some of the highest rates of stroke are of Afro-descent. And then also, we also know that higher risk of heart failure too. Okay, <laughs> we're getting a lot of information here. Okay, we're aware that heart disease and its symptoms can prevent, can present them, sorry, themselves differently for women than for men. Can you tell us what those differences are that women should be aware of? And can that you also provide question. some guidelines? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we, want to highlight, and many times we have our red dress pins and things like that on, to highlight that, yes, women can present differently. But we also highlight that a lot of things we can do as far as prevention. So in general, when we talk about presenting with a heart attack, chest discomfort, chest pressure still tends to be one of the more common symptoms. But you're 100% correct that women 
may not have any chest symptoms at all. More common symptoms, shortness of breath, just significant fatigue out of the blue, no explanation, sweating, abdominal discomfort, indigestion, back pain, jaw, neck pain, other symptoms outside of chest discomfort, racing heart rates, palpitations. So we say in general, listen to your body, be an advocate for your health, making sure that if symptoms come on suddenly severe, don't wait for the appointment, don't wait on the phone line mm -hmm. trying to speak to someone, please seek emergent care. Even if everything is okay in the emergency room, please then follow up. It goes back to our discussion even on high blood pressure. Sometimes that can mm -hmm. be a contributor to some of these symptoms. So we do want to highlight that, yes, women can present differently. Here, we try and highlight at the Women's Institute, do not just take a diagnosis of asthma or anxiety and say, oh, that must be it. And mm -hmm. that women, yes, we can present with heart disease, but how we present is very different. And we're raising awareness to ensure that the providers that are out there in the community are aware of how differently we can present. Okay. Now, okay, when we go in for a physical exam, right, um, or an annuals, the first thing, I, I think it's one of the major things that is done is to listen to the heart with the stethoscope, right? Correct. What exactly are you listening for? And, um, you know, what, uh, is that where you first detect, you would first detect any sort of heart-related um, disease? Or so, issues. <laughs> yeah, no, right. That stethoscope exam, we put it over the heart, is just one of the pieces of information. So it's not the only piece. When we're listening, we're listening to how fast the heart is beating. We're listening to the rhythm. Sometimes we can pick up abnormal heart rhythms. So, for example, rhythms such as atrial fibrillation, where the heart beats irregularly. We also may listen to the valve. Well, we do listen to the valves, but we detect sometimes heart murmurs. That is a sound in which we can hear the blood going through the valve or going through the muscle of the heart. Sometimes that does pick up more advanced valve disease, such as people may know the term leakage of the valve or regurgitation, mm -hmm. where the blood goes through the, the leaflets in yeah. a different direction, or it can sometimes even be narrowing of the heart valve that we're picking up. We can sometimes also pick up sound related to high blood pressure, especially if it's been uncontrolled, high, untreated. So there are quite a few things that we're listening to. In fact, people tend to say, I listen a bit longer with my stethoscope. At the same time, that also guides us as far as do we do an EKG or ECG, mm -hmm. we put the stickers on the chest. We can look for signs of prior damage to the heart related to a heart attack, the rhythm. We can also sometimes find changes related to high blood pressure too. And in fact, sometimes I've even diagnosed people and said, listen, you've had some high blood pressure and let's jump on that. But then there's other imaging we sometimes follow up with like an ultrasound of the heart, an echocardiogram yeah. to look at the muscles and the valves and others. So you're right. That first initial step guides us to our next step. And it's just one of the puzzle pieces. Great. Okay. All right. So there is a new dilemma emerging now, right? Where we've seen an increased prevalence of hypertension and diabetes in younger demographics. 
what do you believe is causing this trend? Could it be that um, they're eating too many uh, processed foods, foods high in sugar, sodium? Why do you think that is happening amongst our younger population? That is a great question. We are very worried about the higher rates of high blood pressure and diabetes in the younger population. And that is a great point. Some of it are just the processed foods that does wow. come with chemicals, higher sodium, higher sugar. We're also seeing a decrease in physical activity. So mm -hmm. now many times may be spent as far as social media, on the phones, also streaming as far as, you know, binging on different, you know, movies, series, TV shows, et cetera, and less physical activity that's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, with the increased rate of diabetes and high blood pressure, we're also seeing higher rates of heart attack in younger individuals. Mm. So yeah. it's not enough for us to say, hey, let's just tackle, you know, as far as moving, but we have to really make sure we monitor patients closely, and especially women, because it's actually higher rates of younger women we're seeing these rates. And wow. so, yes, follow diabetes, follow the high blood pressure. We talk about the importance of just moving. It's important. I say, if you want to stream or watch a show, do your physical activity with it, you know? And so it's a way in which we balance, you know, having fun, but also getting that movement that's needed, burning the sugar, lowering the blood pressure is all a key role. And for all of us, a lower salt, lower sodium diet yeah. is important. Yes, there'll be, you know, our, we call our cheat meals and our fun meals, but in <laughs> general, if we look back over the week, have we given our heart the majority of the time the healthy food that it needs? Yes. And um, we do know that exercise plays a very important role, but is it because the heart is a muscle, right, that needs exercise? So I think that's one of the contributing um, things that we could do to help um, keep our hearts healthy, right, is to keep that heart actively pumped <laughs> or no, exercised. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're 100% right. The interesting thing about it is not only are we exercising our heart, but when we exercise, we're also releasing healthy chemicals in our arteries that can help us lower our blood pressure, help us burn fat, lose weight, help us manage our stress. And so it plays um, the key role. Many times people will ask me, well, do I have to join a gym? And the answer is no. Walking a nice brisk walk is great. Physically, if you're not able to do a brisk walk because of other injuries or issues, that's okay. Do sit in the chair. There are lots of great videos with very vigorous chair exercises yes. about getting that heart rate up. We love that. And so it doesn't have to be a special type of workout, but we, that's why we highlight just move. So key things that we focus on is getting that heart rate up for at least 10 minutes. But if we can, our goal is 30 minutes, five days a week mm -hmm. of a moderate level of activity. So exercise, I call it part of our treatment plan. It is part of the package. Yes. Great. Okay. Um, now, uh, without health insurance, many women of color struggle to gain access to medical care. Do you have any suggestions for how they might, might either um, obtain coverage or how can we um, encourage them to commit to a preventative lifestyle to reduce the likelihood of a cardiovascular event? Yes, <laughs> well, two, things. 
Now, uh, so all of us, everyone, the importance of a heart healthy lifestyle is important. We also know that as far as in addition to lack of insurance or underinsurance, as far mm -hmm. as financial availability, as far as healthy food options can be an issue mm -hmm. too. And so we talk about ways as far as being able to try and have lower sodium food. So maybe if it's not fresh produce, frozen may have less or lower sodium than canned foods. We know that in various counties and regions, there are at times supportive services, even here in Palm Beach County where we are, as far as helping to coverage, as far as for patients for medical care who do not have insurance. And so, for example, at our clinic here, yes, we do help to see people who do not have insurance. And those resources are available across various counties. Yes, a healthy lifestyle does go a long way, but we all deserve and should have a preventive health evaluation. Overall, basic medical care is critical in addition to making sure that our hearts and the rest of us are looked after. Same things as far as breast cancer screening, as far as in minority populations, we want to make sure that that does not go to the wayside. So there are also resources, including at the Lynn Women's Institute for women who may not be able to even have their mammograms covered, which every woman should be able to have. So you're correct. It plays a key role as far as an overall health of populations. And we know that more and more counties are trying to provide that, and we do provide that here in Palm Beach. Okay. All right. Um, I have a question for our senior women. I read recently that as you, you're getting older, the allowable blood pressure reading can be a little bit higher than what is the standard recommended, right? I've read that um, our blood pressure is considered fairly normal if it's about 150 over 90. Am I correct? As you get older, your blood pressure readings, they're more forgivable. I mean, <laughs> we can go a little bit higher. <laughs> So the data has shown more recently that unfortunately that is not true. We hmm. do know that that has been more of a practice. In general, our goal is to try to keep blood pressures lower than 150 over 90. <laughs> also goes back to what we talk about as far as individualized care. Now, if someone starts with a blood pressure of 200, we're not going to try and push them down to 120. <laughs> but, but we do know that day-to-day -day blood pressures of 150 or 90 or higher can actually increase our risk of stroke, especially when you talk about the older population too, and heart failure. And so again, our goal may not be down to 110, 120, but definitely as tolerated to get it lower just to protect the heart and the brain overall. <laughs> and our cholesterol levels as well plays. Um... Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dr. Johnson, thank you for talking with us. This was a very quick and concise um, <laughs> um, conversation, and we got a lot of in information from you. We're grateful to be interviewing you during Women's History Month, and you've imparted a lot of um, important health-related information to our audience. So thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And um, I wish you well. You too. Thank you. I might come and see you. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs>